The Animation Podcast, September 4th, 2006. Get up. Animation Podcast. Get up. You must get up. Get up. Get up. Come with me. Hey everybody, this is Clay. Welcome to show number 17 of the Animation Podcast. Yes, the show is back, and it never really left. It just started acting French and took off for the summer. Actually, for the past few months, I've been having a very good time animating, so there hasn't been much time to work on the shows. Today is a holiday in the U.S., so it's given me a chance to put together Bernie Mattinson Part 2. After the interview, we'll hear some more from our listener survey results, a listener voicemail, and a few other things I'd like to mention. So, to get you up to speed with where we left off, Bernie has worked at Disney for over 50 years as an animator, story artist, director, and producer. And Part 1 ended with Bernie talking about animating with Wooly Reitherman on Robin Hood. Here we go with part two. After that picture was finished, they decided to do Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2. Mm-hmm. It was a board that they had started working on, but they hadn't really pinned it down to scenes. It was not a. It was just sort of a presentation board. It wasn't a production board. So they gave people sections to work on. And I picked up a section uh, of uh, in the 100-acre wood where they were on the ice and... Uh, Rue was waiting for uh, Tigger to come and, and pick him up, and they were going to go right. ice skating. Okay, so that was a sequence they gave me to do. And so I was going through, and I was thumbnailing it, you know, and and I had animated quite a lot on it. But I, but Frank came in one day, and he looked at my thumbnails, and he said, gee, these are pretty good. He says, would you like to go upstairs and, and work with uh, Wooly on uh, um, the rescuers? They need the help, all the help they can get up there. And um, not animating though, right? No, not animating. Doing doing story sketches. Uh-huh. Well, I'd never done story sketches. So was was Frank kind of in the position to? Uh, Frank, was it just a suggestion? I guess no, no. Or, what it was was uh, when I was doing the sequence, being such still a a green animator, mm-hmm. uh, they said that you should check everything with Frank. Mm-hmm. So check your stories, get your your thumbnails with him before you start to go ahead and animate this stuff. So I was working. In that regard, with him, uh-huh. and he liked the business, and he playing. liked it, and, and so forth. Then he suggested, "Why don't you go upstairs, work there for maybe just a week?" He says, "You know, just to get started uh-huh. up there for, the, for them." And I thought, "Well, shoot, for a week would be fine, you know." Right. And how did you feel about that? I mean, you had would, been an assistant for twelve years, then you animated for maybe a year or about two, a year. two years. Yeah, no, it must have been about a year. Year. And, and then they want you to get out of animation and go try out stories. Yeah, but but if Frank had said, "Oh, it's only going to be for a week." Uh-huh. And I said, well, for a week, not bad. You know, I really wanted to animate. I started really liking to animate. So I, I went up there, and uh, Wooly was not the easiest person. He was noted for being short-tempered, and he doesn't suffer fools easily. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of the story guys who had gone up there to do story were soon let go because he was difficult, some, or could be difficult. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, I knew the reputation, and so I was like, oh, God. You know, dance with the queen and and whoop, off with your head. You know that that was kind of nervous, but I thought only for a week is not bad. 
So I got up there. <laughs> Only for a week. <laughs> <laughs> so I got up there, and the first sequence they gave me to do was Bernard and Bianca get off the bus, and uh, it's a rainy night, and Bernard says, oh, I know where it is, and he goes off into the zoo. Right. And then comes running out after the lion. You can hear a lion out there. And he, and he comes running out and so forth. And he says, that's not the way. And they keep on going. It was really a piece of throwaway business. But they needed to work badly. And so uh, I did that sequence. And then one day, Ken Anderson and Wooly came into the room. And they looked at the board. And, and they said, would you mind staying a little longer? And I said, sure. I was really tickled that they even mm-hmm. liked the boards. Yeah. So I stayed. I never left. <laughs> that was the end of my animating career. <laughs> wow, wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, so I so I stayed through uh, that picture, and I learned an awful lot from Wooly because I became sort of his, in a sense, like a gopher. Uh, if he had problems to do, or what did we do here, uh, like in the Rescuers, where they had the uh, what do you call it, the uh, that diamond, the diamond. Yeah. Well. Uh, he would say, I want you to you to draw the diamond, do the diamond. And he says, I want all the facets of it put in there. And he says, I want I want you to... And I said, well, why don't we get a diamond and photograph it, you know? And he said, no, 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 no. He says, I want you to, to get in there. And he says, start from the inside out and start building it up in layers. And in a drawing? Drawing, yeah. yeah. And, and coloring it and so forth. And I thought, are you kidding? <laughs> well, I... So so I started drawing the diamond and building all the facets and everything into it. That was maddening. I think it was took took me about 3 four, 3 weeks or so and I finally I had a picture and Wooly would hold it up to the light and it was like seven layers of paper over one after uh-huh. the other because he wanted it from the inside out. And I did, was did it with magic markers and so forth. And he says this is it. This is perfect. And I looked at him, are you kidding? And he says Get this photographed. And so we had it photographed. We took the negative and, and we, we cut it out of the film and we sent it out for C prints. And I, and I thought to myself, the man's mad. He would never do a thing like that. And that's exactly what it is. In the, the movie, it's the, your, your it marker. is magic markers on, the, on, on these seven layers of paper. <laughs> <laughs> uh. You know, and then there was another time he came up with the little girl. She walks out on on, on the deck of the of uh, uh, the boat at the beginning, and she looks down the water. And there's some sad song going on, and this is prior to the titles, I think. Or and there's a teardrop that drops into the water, and then it ripples out. Yeah. Well, Wooly, he didn't uh, trust camera, and he and he turned to me and he says, "I want you to do the ripple." <laughs> Me you were his go-to guy. <laughs> yeah, and I, and, I, and I said, "How do you do that?" He says, "That's your problem." So I, I thought, well, they have those ripple glasses out there that they they could do it really well, you know, to get the rippling effect. Mm-hmm. So, the, the what we we decided on doing is I got cells, and we took uh, lacquer, and we spread the lacquer out, and then in the in it I would draw the ripple effect with my fingers. And we would let it dry hmm. and then cut it out in the section we liked, put it in the matte box in the cam- over the camera, and then pull it through. Uh, and so when she her teardrop drops into the water, then it takes and distorts it. So it's kind of like an optical effect. It's an optical yeah. effect. 
but I thought to myself, what am I doing this for? Why doesn't he just let camera do this? You know, yeah, they have yeah. optical glasses and all. No, no, he did. He wanted me to do it. So, funny. and you're officially in story, right? I was officially in story. Yeah. I was still doing story on and yeah, off, but yeah. he he would he would get me to do these oh, that's things, great. and. And it was good because I started learning. Mm-hmm. You know, I really learned how to fly by the seat of your pants and do things. You know, wow. so. Yeah. Yeah. I know we're way up at uh, Rescuers, but I kind of wanted to go back and ask about Walt. Um, mm-hmm. Had you had much experience with him? Y- you know, uh, Walt came in every day. Mm-hmm. And there was something around the time. Whenever Walt was there, it was an exciting time. And I mean, the studio was alive. You always had anticipation something was about to happen, and it always did seem, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was Disneyland or one day you'd walk in and you'd see his railroad cars uh, going down the street and around, because he was he had his train set up around around the the studio there, mm-hmm. and he was taking people on on tours of the studio. So there was always like something new was happening, and it was very exciting. But it, when I was in traffic, one of the jobs that uh, I wound up doing. Basically, because the accounting department was out in the toolies out there, you know, the studio lot, um, Dolores, his secretary, Dolores Voigt, she'd call me up at, on Friday mornings, 1130. It was like clockwork. And I would, came up there and I would get his check. He would, he would write a check. It's signed Walt Disney. <laughs> and and uh, for $300. And I would take the check, go over to Joe Sears over in accounting, and she would give me three hundred dollars back, and I'd come back to the, up to his office, and I'd hand him the the three hundred dollars. So saw him every Friday. Saw him every Friday, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was. Uh, and then of course you'd see him in the elevators and so forth, and you know to this day I don't think people believe it, but I actually made the mistake of calling him Mister Disney, and he turned around to me and said said it's Waltz, it's Walt, son, <laughs> you know. Oh, that's cool. And uh, it was. You know, I for a person like me, I only know him from you know video or the the Disney show. Was he that same person off camera? Yeah, I think he. I think he, you know, was he a guy you could just walk up and talk to if you if you wanted? He was to? easy to talk to. You yeah. could talk to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you were always fearful of talking to him because you know you're just a little squirt. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, although I have to honestly tell you, the animators, nine old men guys. Much to my surprise, they, they it was it was like a father, uh, and it was like a fearful relationship, but mm-hmm. a fatherly relationship too. Whenever they had, which they would have quite often, it would be um, a sweat box with Walt. They would um, everybody would dress up in their suits. They would dress up suit and tie to go in there with Walt mm-hmm. and uh, to look at the dailies or whatever it was that they were looking at. And because they were always, they were always nervous. You know, Jesus, what, what time is it? Oh God, I got butterflies. Really? And so they were very nervous about. Well, I think it's the well, same. Not, never knowing what to expect, right? Exactly. And whether uh, it was a good day or a bad day, or if you right. had a, a new plan for the whole movie, and yeah. Know. So uh, they really respected him and so forth. And, and in fact, when he died, uh, I was always surprised when they came into the room. Uh, Frank and Ollie and and uh, Lonsberry and you know. They, Eric's room was sort of like a center place. Everybody wanted to see Eric. He was one of the most stable, the most fatherly uh, guys around there. Probably one of the nicest men you've ever met. Mm-hmm. And for me, he was like my second father. Yeah. But uh, they would always come in there and con- congregate in-, in his room. 
and uh, but they would be in tears that particular day. I remember it was in December of 66, and uh, we were working on uh, Sword in the Stone. And tears were in their eyes, and they were just... And I thought, these are the same guys that were afraid of, afraid of this guy. But then I realized that they they had lost the one person that uh, they they wanted to please more than anybody else mm-hmm. and uh, and it was he was gone now yeah. and they didn't know they were lost who they were going to please so yeah and he died um, before Jungle Book was finished right yeah yeah and oh I'm sorry it was Jungle Book wasn't it yes it oh. was Jungle yeah it was on Jungle Book yeah yeah we were working on the uh, vultures Eric and I were working on the vultures at that time. You know, you know yeah. what yeah. do you want to do? What do you want to I don't do? Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, after Walt was gone, what, how did people deal with it? Was it like you know, did, did everyone just kind of pick up and keep going, or what, was there a little wandering going on? Well, or? yeah, there there was a little bit of like, what are we going to do? Um, Wooly was sort of in the forefront at that time as far as uh, directing. On the picture, I think he had the majority of the sequences, if not, I don't know, I forgot exactly, but he was the primary director at that time. There was about a couple of weeks there of turmoil, not knowing who's going to do what, who's going to run the place. Some people had said that uh, Bill Walsh had been offered the job of of, uh, Walt's job, uh, overseeing the studio, and that Bill didn't want it. I think he just felt he was out of his element. Now, this is what I had heard. Then it was decided that, well, we'd keep Wooly directing on the picture and we would get uh, Winston Hibbler would be uh, the producer mm-hmm. on the picture. Well, Winston didn't stay very long. He, I think he had other interests and he felt, in our, or the studio felt, Wooly was extremely capable. So Wooly uh, took over producing, I think, the balance of it and, with, uh, and directing at the same time. And he depended a lot on on the nine old men to help him. Those were his his peers. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they everybody worked together, and uh, we got through the picture fine. That was my my times with Walt. Though was was the uh, but you'd see him every day. You mm-hmm. know he'd be there every day and in the commissary. As I say, I didn't uh, deal with them, but certainly the nine old men animators that I dealt with, they dealt with them all the time. Yeah, so yeah, it's just something that occurred to me. You started when you were eighteen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you've been here 50 years. Do you still feel like the young kid that... Still, I still feel like the young kid. Yeah. Surprisingly enough, uh, you know, as I got older and the animators got older, for me, they still seemed uh, like uh, our age differences never changed mm-hmm. at all, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I started when I was 21, and I've been here 11 years, and I, I, I feel like I'm, you know, <laughs> because your heroes are already here, and they're... They're always going to be that distance you're, from you. You're all going, but you're all going together in yeah, the same yeah. direction. So it's like you'll never catch up. And new kids may come in, but you still feel like a kid, I think. I know. You do. Yeah. I know. Because I think mentally you you feel like the 18-year-old kid, yeah. you know. Yeah, which is good. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so, You know, you were here you know, with the Nine Old Men and during the transition when this new generation was coming in. Mm-hmm. Was it, um, it was a gradual thing over... 10 years or so or, or was it a pretty abrupt change when, when the studio was kind of being handed over to like the Glenn Keens and and Don Bluth and yeah you know um, well actually it everything started changing really I would say probably on uh, uh, Fox and the Hound mm-hmm. we finished um, Rescuers and it went out and it did very well 
it was, it was kind of gave new life to the, to the studio at that time because prior to that, I think Aristocats and, and uh, Sword in the Stone and so forth hadn't done all, I mean, had, had done uh, well, but it hadn't done huge, huge business. But yeah. when, when Rescuers came out, it did very well. And that would kind of, kind of, kind of gave a rebirth. So we started off in uh, Fox and the Hound. Mel Shaw had joined us around that time too. Uh, Mel, had, he was an old story man uh, mm-hmm. back on uh, Bambi, and uh, he was he did pa- these beautiful pastels. Yeah, and he had done a lot of pastels on uh, the Fox and the Hound, and he'd worked from a book. A book, the book was very uh, kind of violent, really, mm-hmm. and but he had softened it and and made it work, and so from that. Uh, and Larry Clemens was the uh, the story man on it, and so I, we started working on that. That was our that was the next picture. I was working uh, straight straight across from Wooly, and uh, they would come in. They would give you uh, a paragraph, say, "Now this is what's going to happen in this sequence," you know, and you, you give it to you, and then you just simply boarded it from there. And would you write dialogue? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You, you you would board it. You'd write the dialogue, and you put up, and then. Some time in the afternoon, after about four or five days, Larry would come in and says, so what do you got there? And he'd go through it, and he says, oh, I don't want him saying that. No, no. Let's change the dialogue. And he'd go in here, and he'd start writing new dialogue in. And he says, oh, this is kind of good. I didn't know you were going to do this. Uh-huh. You know, and, and so then he'd say, hey, well, let's put a new piece of dialogue for this. And it was very collaborative. You were, you were working with a writer, and he, he was, that was wonderful because he started to help you to look good. Mm-hmm. And did he actually have a script, or was he just coming in to work on pieces here? And he'd there? ad-lib it. He'd, yeah, he, yeah he'd, he'd just That's kind of the way the, all the movies had been made, right? With Walt and not using a script and yeah. boarding and developing. Yeah. and Yeah, that, that was the way we did it. Yeah. And uh, it was very collaborative. And so then Wooly would then uh, come come by and say, so what do you got? And, and he'd look up and see all these drawings up there, and he said, wow, it's time for a meeting. <laughs> and then he'd call up all of the animators, the uh you know, group that were working involved in this thing, Frank, Ollie, Milt, whatever. And they'd come into your room. And fortunately, the rooms were very, very nice and large. They had big rooms. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have like eight boards around the whole room. So you, so then you got up and you pitched the boards to these guys. And they all sat there and they were looking through it. And then they would make their comments afterwards. And uh, maybe they liked it. Maybe they had other ideas and so forth and they started talking it out and invariably uh, you would have to wind up taking your entire board down and changing it because they'd come up with some better ideas mm-hmm. and it was oh, it was fine you didn't mind at all because you knew it was going to be better and uh, so you'd go back and you'd start a whole new batch going and in two weeks they'd come back and they'd look at it and say ah this is working you know this is good and so forth and then Wooly would say, I think we're getting ready to, we can put it onto uh, uh, story reels, which that was, that was his, that was what he really liked doing. Mm-hmm. Because Wooly was an ex-pilot. He worked for China Airlines during the war, hmm. faring, uh, and that's where he met his wife. She was a stewardess. But he loved the controls. <laughs> I swear. I mean, I mean, it would, maybe it was me, but I swear he loved the controls because he loved to work with the movieola and put the film up there, the soundtrack, and, and, you know, and he was like he was flying that airplane, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> running back and forth. Right. Yeah. So he was very excited when a thing 
became close enough to put on story reels, and uh, <laughs> so that's what. So so we would put it, put it up, then up on story reels, and and uh, and then he would really uh, nurture it and, and do the right cuts and and t- pull the timing together, <laughs> and it played. He made it play. Uh, and how many story people would work on something like that? Well, everybody was given their own sequence, mm-hmm. so uh, you might have. I was going to say maybe four or five mm-hmm. people working on a picture at the time. So he, he would be in your room, you'd do one, and then somebody else would do one. But he'd be trying to get them all up for story reels. Yeah. And his story reels were not always the kind of story reels that we have here. They were work reels. And it wasn't until later on when management started looking in on these things that he wound up making story reels for them and making story reels for the animators and himself to work with. Would he make separate reels? Make separate reels. Just so that they could understand what was going uh-huh. on. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> for our reels, it was like anything that flew would just went into it, you know, uh. whether it be uh, some rough drawings or it would be uh, uh, some photostats, anything, mm-hmm. a, a piece from an old movie or something. It, it would Whatever it carried the continuity to, to create a picture because... Willie was very creative, but he was he did it on whatever was at handy handy and and if it involved taking an old scene out of a movie out of Snow White and putting it in there, uh-huh. if it worked fine, you know, right, right. just keep the continuity going. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Who are some of the story artists that you worked with? Uh, let's see. Um, Vance Gary, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vance was uh, for me. I always felt he was like king. You know. And, of course, then there was uh, Ken Anderson, who was not a story man, per se. He was more development and also uh, a layout. He was terrific on layout yeah. and story. Yeah. But Wooly trusted him very much and always had him sit in there, usually, on, on, on this thing. Dave Michener. Dave was in story at that time. Let's see, Ted Berman. Then there was Pete Young. Pete was a very young story man, and he didn't draw real well. But Wooly had him sitting in with me. We had uh, desks across from each other. As I say, we didn't have a lot of story people. But mm-hmm. uh, well, in any case, things changed a lot when we uh, on uh, Fox and the Hound. In those days, we would uh, uh, after you finished uh, roughing the board, uh, Wooly would kind of like you to put some color on it and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I would, you know, you wind coloring the mm-hmm. sketches and all that stuff. And I guess. Uh, we had a lot of animators that were waiting around for work. So Art Stevens, who was one of the animators, and uh, Ted Berman and a few others, they went to Ron Miller at the time and said that, that Wooly really wasn't getting the work coming out and we, he needed more help and so forth. What happened is they wound up taking Wooly off of direction and letting him just be the producer. Mm-hmm. And they then they put uh, Art Stevens. I don't know whether uh, Ron Miller took Willie off because he questioned him as much as maybe he was trying to give them the opportunity of bringing in new directors, and that may have been more the case. But anyway, um, Art and uh, Ted uh, started uh, directing on that picture. Because mm-hmm. Willie had directed everything from Jungle Book. From Jungle Book. Through on. Fox and the Hand. Yeah. Yeah. And and Wooly actually even before that he would take se- whole sequences. Walt would give him whole sequences to mm-hmm. do, because he was a really uh, he was great at chases, and like uh, so you've got a chase in uh, 
Lady and the Tramp of the dogs chasing a lady and so mm-hmm. forth. Wooly would handle that, and he had a little staff of people that he worked with, animators uh, like Lounsbury and uh, Eric Leeworth and so forth. Mm-hmm. And they would animate the whole thing themselves. And so and he was doing many directions right, in a right. sense, you know. So Art Stevens and, and Ted came in, and they started then uh, directing. So Wooly kind of then started taking a, a back seat in there and uh, was just kind of overall looking at it and mm-hmm. so forth. And I, th- and I think, from, frankly, in my opinion, that's when it started to kind of start, the whole thing started changing, the dynamic around there. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly afterwards, Bluth left. Right. And uh, he took uh, a lot of animators with him. I was still working in story on it, and uh, the studio stuck together, and, they, and they, uh, uh, we were able to finish the picture okay. And it did very well yeah. when it went out. You know, I, from that from that picture on, I went on to uh, Black Cauldron. Uh, Vance was upstairs, and he was working on, on the third floor on it with Pete Young, and they were uh, doing idea sketches and things for it. And so that's how I, so I started working on it, and uh, that became a big event for me because that's where I, one day, got into an argument with the uh, the directors who were on finishing up on Fox and the Hound, mm-hmm. and the producer. Uh, Joe Hale, on uh, and and we had a little altercation. Uh, <laughs> what was is it about work in general? Or? It was it was it wasn't work in general. It was very specific. I was working on the scene at the very beginning of the picture, where Dalbin was introduced, and and uh, I can't think of the, the the boy's name in that picture at all. Island Wee. There was Island Wee, and there was uh, yeah, I can't think of it either. Anyway, it was establishing the characters. It was the first sequence, and. There was a lot of friction at that time because they hadn't read the script. They didn't know the story. It was a difficult story because there were five books that we were trying to assimilate into one story. And uh, Mel Shaw had done a lot of work on it, beautiful sketches of it. And he had really kind of developed a storyline on it. And even Mel, in one of the meetings, uh, said you guys should start reading the script or start reading the, the books before you come in here with some of your crazy ideas. And, uh, you know, they had a thing in there where they wanted the castle, the Horn King's castle, to be like a pulsating brain. The walls would be pulsating. And we sat there going, are you kidding me? My God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so... It, there became this friction, and, and this like, was the the directors. Who these were the, that? from the directors. Yeah, these were coming from the directors, and like we thought, you know, you're not even reading the, don't even know what we're talking about mm-hmm. here. So we, so I pitched the storyboards to them, and then they said, well, these are working all right, and you know, I said, but we really need to get them um, so they could be shot for production, and I, and I really, I think I, I don't know whether I had a short fuse that day or whatever, but I guess everything just all came down, and I, mm-hmm. and I. Got up in front of him, stood up in front of him, and I went down the line and telling him, "Yeah, what the, <laughs> I totally disagree with him, and, and I don't want to even say what language or whatever." Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> but for me, I thought, "Oops, Bernie, what have you done? You know, your career is about to be finished." Mm-hmm. So I went home that night, and I was really low, and I said, "I think, hun, that maybe I'm not going to be working there that long." Mm-hmm. And I told her why and all that. I said, I really got to find something to do. And she said... <laughs> In one night, you <laughs> decided that. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
story was in its very in its infancy on that on that picture. I had I had probably done more of getting the story going because I had actually taken a sequence of the introduction and actually done the board. And I guess I had I was feeling a little bit like, gee, I worked my tail off getting mm-hmm. this thing this far, and now you guys come in and start wanting to, you know. Was that probably the most work that had been done on the? Yeah, that was the most movie? work because other than that, that was the only old opening se- the only sequence they had. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, my wife said, you know, you had always talked about doing uh, the Christmas Carol with Mickey and the other and the characters, because about two years beforehand, the uh, record album had come out, and I had done some little work on it. I think uh, some drawing here or whatever, or I'd seen it in when it's pre-production stage, and I always liked that idea, uh, like the Disney players, you know, they mm-hmm. they, they put on the, a, a show, right? So. I said, well, yeah. I, I said, well, maybe I ought to do some sketches and start drawing some ideas for it. And she says, well, why don't you just write a letter up to to, to Ron Miller and tell him your interest. Hmm. So, ooh, all right. So I sat down and I wrote a letter, very short, few couple of paragraphs. Sent it up to him with along with the album. The album actually uh, had been done by uh, Alan Young and uh, Alan Dinehart. And they had actually created this album for the music company. So I sent it up to him, and I thought, I'll probably never hear from him. And next day, I had a call. Come up to his office. And, well, shoot, I'd never really even been in his office, you know. You, you, ever, you know who Ron Miller yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. Saw, saw him? Okay. Big man. Very big fellow. Uh, you know, a football player. And uh, he, had a, he, he was in Walt's old office. And he had these big upright chairs in there, you know, with wing backs. Mm-hmm. His desk was in the corner, and it was up on a on a, a foot high stand or something like that. <laughs> so he, he he was above you, and here was this big fellow up there. And I came and I came in, and the, and the secretary says, "You can go in." So I walked in. He's busy working at at the desk there, and uh, so I sit down in one of the wing chairs, and I'm waiting, waiting. And he looks up, up, up at me all of a sudden, and he picks up the letter that I had sent him, and he throws it at me. And he says, what in the hell are you sending me this kind of thing for, uh, For this letter? And I was like, oh, jeez. You know, I sure got wow. him on a wow, bad yeah. day. And I, and I thought, well, the job's really finished now. So then I started thinking, well, I'm going to stand up for it. What the heck? And I said, hey, listen, I think it was a darn good idea. And uh, I said, you know, we need something, you know, and I started going on. And, and, and he, all of a sudden, he broke into laughter. And he started laying oh, back and laughing. And, 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 and then I looked over, and the other wing chair was Ed Hansen. And Ed was laughing. And he was the head of the, uh, the animation department. And so Ron said, I think it's a great idea. He says, I want you to do it. <laughs> what a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, uh, so I see, he says, he says, he says, I want you to go down and start boarding it now and start, start moving on it. He says, so I said, okay. So I went downstairs and, and I had a room They gave me a room and I put a desk in the middle of the room and it was just bare walls mm-hmm. and me. And I just started, boarding the thing and putting up uh, the picture. So no more Black Cauldron. No more Black Cauldron. Mm. And uh, uh, about a, well, it was about three weeks later or two weeks later, Ron come da- came down with Ed Hansen and they 
wanted to see what I had, and I and I pitched the board to him, mm-hmm. the, the first opening sequence. And uh, he says, great. He says, I like it, you know. And I was starting to put music in it, too, you know, doing, doing them, doing the music. He says, ah, take the music out. We don't want the music. Just do the, do the story. Mm-hmm. Great. So he says, uh, by May... May 1st, he says, I want to start seeing this getting into animation. And I said, jeez, okay, Uh, who are you going to have to direct it? He says, you're going to direct it. And so that's how I got direction. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Things were moving fast. So we put the first sequence up on story reels, and then we needed voices to do it. Well, we didn't have any voices, so we had to go out and hunt the voices down. You mean like for Mickey and Goofy? Mickey, and... Mickey, you know, had long time, you know, of course it was Walt. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even when, when Walt didn't do it, uh, Jim McDonald did it. And Jim was the head of the sound effects at mm-hmm. the time. But Jim had gotten older then at that time because it was really 1953, I think, we did The Simple Things was the last Mickey mm-hmm. um, that was done. So Jim had lost it, basically. So everybody came in the room trying out, you know, <laughs> telling me, oh, yes, we can do it, you know, <laughs> or whatever. And so I was listening to all of this, and so we started tryouts, and we started getting the uh, um, uh, casting department looking. <laughs> and we tried out and tried out, and nothing was happening. And one day, uh, Wayne Allwine walked into my room, and he had these big, dark, bug eye glasses you know the reflecting kind and he walked in there and he says i can do it and and i said oh yeah good yeah he says yeah jim don't show me how and i said okay so he he he, he ran off a, a a few lines and i thought he's not bad he's pretty good <laughs> so we did, went out. did he work at the studio he worked at the studio he was uh-huh. the sound effects editor oh okay so i said hey okay so we went over and we, and we recorded a, a few of the lines and everybody liked them he became our Mickey <laughs> in the picture. Oh, we got one in the bag. Okay. So then we went to the Goofies, and we couldn't find a Goofy That's anywhere. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, we tried even Pinto Clovey's son, mm-hmm. and uh, he and he was doing Bozo at the time, I think, on and off, and he, he couldn't do what his father could do. So he was a hard one to place. Then we needed somebody for the Giant, and that's when... Will Ryan came in, and he was a Canadian fellow, and he said, I heard you guys are looking for, I talked to one of the animators I knew, I knew, and he says, you guys are looking for voices. He says, I can do voices. And so I said, okay. So <laughs> Will tried out for the giant, and he did a pretty good giant. We liked what he did. And was he from the studio too? No, he okay. wasn't from the studio. He was from the outside. Okay. He'd just come down from, with his brother from, from Canada. Mm-hmm. and But he knew one of the guys over in animation, and the guys had said, well, hey, you know, uh, they're always looking for voice. They're looking for voices over there. So, he tried out for it and he did great. So we we had our we had our giant, and then I said, we're still looking for our, our goofy, and and he says, let me try. And so he tried it and he he wound up doing goofy wow. too. But Donald became something special. We couldn't use. We were told we were we weren't allowed to use uh, Clarence Nash who who had retired because he was retired. He was like eighty years old, and. Could not cut it. Do not go to him. But we, but we have these. This guy who does this uh, orange juice commercial in Florida. You know, for the Florida orange juice, uh, Donald Duck orange juice or whatever. And so we tried him out. Oh, he stunk. I thought. I remember that, that commercial. Oh yeah, you yeah. remember? Okay. Yeah. 
and he 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 didn't couldn't do the lines or anything. And we were really stuck. And a lot of people tried, and nothing nothing came by. And I was really nervous. What are we going to do? So, I think it was either my wife or somebody said, "Why don't you just call Clarence?" And I thought, "Well, why not?" So I called him up on the phone, and I talked to his wife, and she said. And I, I, I said, we're really stuck. You know, do you think Clarence can do anything at all? I'd never met him at all. Mm-hmm. She says, would he even mind? It's just, he'd love to come out. He'd love to try it. And sure enough, the next day he came over and we had a little recording session on the stage there. We gave him his lines. And now he was in his 80s then. And, and he was very, he was kind of on the frail side. Mm-hmm. And he, and he had a hearing aid, and he was trying to get the hearing aid to work. And I thought, oh, man. I said, if I have to say uh, that he can't cut it, oh, I'm going to die because this is a sweet man. <laughs> so he says, oh, okay. And, he, and we helped him out into the stage, and he got up in front of the microphone and gave him a script. We went back into the control room, and the place was crowded with the animators. They were all in there because he was a legend. Yeah. And I was just thinking to myself, what am I going to tell him? <laughs> so they said. They, so we said well, we need a voice check. And so Clarence says, well, "Okay, okay." And 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 we're all waiting. And all of a sudden, he comes out with. And he did it in Donald Duck. God damn son of a bitch! <laughs> and we heard this, and it was Donald Duck. Yeah. It was the best Donald Duck we'd ever heard. <laughs> it was Donald Duck. Yeah. <laughs> it was Donald Duck. <laughs> Everybody in the place was just grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> so that was fantastic. Yeah. So that was really sweet. So he did Donald's, and uh, we had our voices. Was that and the hardest part of the production? That was the hardest part. And then we got we we, we started handing out animation at the, mm-hmm. at the beginning of uh, uh, in May. We were trying to get an animator for for for, for Mickey, and the nice mm-hmm. thing about. Mickey's Christmas Carol. Everything was down on Black Cauldron because they were waiting for story, mm-hmm. and they were going through and they were f- kind of trying to pick and choose their best animators. For one reason or another, there were certain people they didn't want on their picture, and Glenn Keane happened to be one of them. Hmm. Uh, apparently, Glenn had had a one of those little altercation things or whatever, and uh, <laughs> to ask Glenn about that. they they wanted they wanted him to. They didn't want him on the picture at all. Hmm. So Ed Hansen asked me, he says, well, could you use him? Like, yeah, we could use him really, really. Because he had done Fox and the Hound, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the bear and the Oh, yeah. He, he was a great animator, you know. Huh. So uh, he uh, he was going to work on the picture, and I thought, well, great. And then we got Mark Hannon. And uh, Mark uh, came into my, room and he, into my room, and he was a breakdown at that time. And he says, "Can I could I try an am- animation scene on Mickey?" And and I said, oh, well, "Sure." I said because the animator that we had picked, he uh, was off doing one thing or another, but he wasn't doing the animation. So uh, Mark uh, tried a scene out, and he came in, and uh, gee, I flipped the scene, and it was really good. Yeah, I really doing do, tri- did it terrific. So we gave him some more scenes, and pretty soon he was doing it. About three months went by, and we pushed up to animator. Mm-hmm. It be, almost became a rivalry between he and and the Glenn Keane about who could be the fastest. <laughs> and they were a great team. I mean, they really moved. Were they kind of the the leads on the movie? They were kind of the leads on the movie. Yeah, yeah, they were. Ed Gombert had uh, 
was doing some of the scenes. Uh, he did like uh, the um, Ratty and Moley uh, that had come to the door. Mm-hmm. and uh, But then uh, we were, I was getting bogged down doing story. I couldn't do story, direct, and all that other stuff. So he said he'd like to try it, to do some boarding. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wound up boarding some of the funniest and the best stuff in the picture, really. Hmm. So he did not only animation, but boarding on that. And uh, he was wonderful. Wow, that must have been hard to... Uh, well, first, it wasn't a full feature, right? No. And it, was that ever planned as one? It wound up... It wasn't planned in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Actually, when I wrote the letter to Ron Miller, I, I suggested just as a half-hour short mm-hmm. that I just figured it would be shown every other year or something on yeah. TV. And after we were about... Well, I guess about a third of the way into it, it became a decision whether they wanted to go as a feature. I think Ron wanted to go as a feature. And uh, we could have milked it out to a feature. We had enough business that we want we could put into it with uh, Pluto and things that never got into the picture. Mm-hmm. So we had a meeting and uh, up in the sweat box, and we ran the picture, and we had all the executives there that were running the studio at the time. And the thinking then was that we could never get our money back because it would only play for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Well, yet Christmas was still the best. We'd make a lot of money on a picture during Christmas, so you, th- that thinking kind of went out the window later on. But in that time, uh, they felt like the window was too short, and so it wasn't worth going. So we didn't. So the picture was for us was just trying to get it finished. Unfortunately, we got it down to starting to go into uh, effects, and uh, when we started getting into effects, is about the time that we got had a strike, the union mm. str- uh, struck, and so for about six, seven months or whatever it was, the length of it, nobody was in the studio except myself and Ed Hansen, the the, the department head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were doing in-betweens. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, everybody else was out in the line. So you really made that movie um, just by picking up loose people. And, and yeah, it was loose people all around. Under the radar, almost. Everything you know. was like under the radar, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, uh, I remember. Wait, I remember once we were, had a show shortly after we got the picture up, uh, all on reels. By that time, Cauldron was underway a little bit, and they had they had a couple of sequences ready to go. And we were in a sweat box, and they ran Mickey's Christmas Carol first for Ron Miller, I guess, and the execs. And then uh, afterwards, they were going to run the Black Cauldron stuff. And I, I remember Joe Hale who I'd, I'd had that altercation with, mm-hmm. along with the director. The producer, right? Producer. Black Cauldron. Mm-hmm. He sidled up to me and he says, to think that I will have to be seeing this picture every year on TV. <laughs> 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 that this will become the definitive <laughs> Christmas Carol. <laughs> Which I was just tickled. <laughs> Fine. I'm sorry if I talk too long. No, I I, you know. I I love every bit of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's great to me, and uh, you know, I always figure if I find it interesting, then other people will. And so far, it's worked that way. Oh, okay. A lot of good feedback. Just you know, I I put out everything, and people love to hear it all. So, uh, yeah, I I appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. All right. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, sure. That concludes part two of my interview with Bernie Mattinson. There will be four parts in total, so there are plenty of great Bernie stories to look forward to. You may know that there was a listener survey on the site, and it is now closed, but there was way more participation than I had hoped for, with a total of 638 respondents. 
So thanks to everyone that uh, took the time to go through the survey. Like on the top 10 favorite characters list, there was a wide response to the favorite film question, showing just how varied people's tastes in animation can be. 64 films mentioned didn't even make it to the top 10. And by the way, if any response had more than one film listed, I just took the first answer as the response. So here are your favorite top 10 through 6 animated films. At number 10 is Finding Nemo. Number 9 is a three-way tie between 101 Dalmatians, The Lion King, and The Little Mermaid. Number 8 is the only foreign film in the top 10, which was Spirited Away. Number 7 is Pixar's first feature, Toy Story. Number 6 is the oldest film in the top 10, released in 1940, Pinocchio. So we'll go through the top five in a second, but first I've got one listener voicemail to play. Hi, Clay. This is Tim Hodge. I'm uh, recording from the small hamlet of Franklin, Tennessee, and I um, just wanted to thank you for doing an interview with Bernie Mattinson. I, I worked with Bernie on Mulan years ago, and he's just a great guy, and he was a great mentor and teacher, and I'm really looking forward to listening to this. I haven't listened to it yet. I'm going to be on an airplane tonight, so I'm saving it for the trip. Um, but thanks again. Keep up the good work. And I really like the podcast. Thanks for the message, Tim, and I hope you enjoyed the show. If anyone else would like to send a voicemail to be played on a future show, it's very easy to use the voicemail link at the top of the site to record a high-quality voice message with your computer. Or you can use your phone and call area code 206-666-2668. And in terms of email, I've been very backed up on responding to those, but I'm still working on it. Uh, if you'd like to email me with the understanding that it may be a while before I respond, you can find the link at the top of the site as well. And if you really need a faster response, I highly recommend leaving a comment on one of the posts because I don't like to leave those hanging, and I tend to answer those pretty quickly. So the other good thing about commenting on the site is that there may be other people out there with similar questions who can benefit from the discussion. So even if you have what you think is a very specific question, other people can still learn from the answers. Email is still fine, but please consider commenting as your first line of communication. As always, for any of this information, please visit my website at animationpodcast.com. Something else I've mentioned on the site is that I'm participating in the Malibu Triathlon on September 17th, which is a fundraiser. If you're listening to this before that date and you'd like to make a donation that goes to support the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation, you can find a link on the site for more info. As of today, I've passed my goal of raising $300 with a total of $405 donated, and I'd like to give a huge thanks now to those who generously donated so far. I really appreciate everything you guys have contributed. I also realize that some listeners outside the U.S. haven't been able to donate, but I do appreciate the effort. Also, if you're listening after September 17th and you want to donate, there's always next year. So thanks for listening to my little commercial. Now it's on to your top five animated films. Like I said before, there were 638 answers spread all over the place. So, at number five with 25 votes is Pete Docter's directorial debut, Monsters, Inc., at number four, with 32 votes, is a film directed by past guests of the show, Ron Clements and John Musker, Aladdin. At number three, beating Aladdin by one vote, with 33 votes total, is the oldest film in the top five, The Jungle Book. By the way, if you want to get technical, third place was a tie between The Jungle Book and I Can't Decide, or I Don't Have a Favorite, or my favorite response, Damn you, Clay, why do you make me choose? The two films at number one and two blew away the competition. They also happen to be directed by the same person. One is traditional, and one is CG. Any guesses? Just shout them out. Go on. Okay. At number two, with 56 votes, is my favorite modern animated film, The Iron Giant. And by now, you should know what took the top spot. With an overwhelming 93 votes, it's Brad Bird's The Incredibles. I never look back, darling. It distracts from the now. 
That's going to wrap it up for show number 17. Again, I want to thank those listeners who donated to the triathlon fundraiser. And I want to thank everyone for waiting patiently for new shows. So until next time, thanks for tuning in.